After a short break from John's Gospel last Sunday, when Pastor Paul Garns preached in Philippians, we're back in John this morning, and Jesus has been, as we saw a couple weeks ago, mixing metaphors, first talking about himself as the shepherd, and then talking about himself as the door, and now he's back to talking about himself as the shepherd in John 10, 11 to 15. And he develops this concept of himself as a shepherd by contrasting himself with, um, or by contrasting, pardon me, a shepherd with a hired hand. And he brings out the nature then of his identity and his work as shepherd by contrasting a shepherd with a hired hand. We see this in verse 12. The hired hand is set up as a foil for the shepherd, which is basically like a contrasting character to bring out the distinctives of the protagonist or the main character. We're going to draw out the intended implications about Jesus as the Good Shepherd by examining three aspects of this contrast between the shepherd and the hired hand in these five verses. But we're going to look at them in logical order as opposed to the order that the contrasts appear in the text. And we'll begin with this contrast. The good shepherd knows the sheep. The good shepherd knows the sheep. In contrast to the hired hand who does not. We see in verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. By implication, the hired hand does not know the sheep. The my sheep know me statement harkens back to verse 4 of John chapter 10. Remember that Jesus, even though we're spending weeks looking at this, Jesus uttered this at the same time. And so to connect something now to verse 4 is not really a far stretch. It's not a reach to connect something here back to verse 4. The people who, had, who were listening to Jesus' teaching originally would have had everything that was in the first few verses of John chapter 10 in mind as Jesus comes to this section, 11 to 15. In John chapter 10 and verse 4, Jesus has already taught us that the sheep know the shepherd. There is a familiarity and trust. At the very least, Jesus is repeating this idea that the sheep know the shepherd, that there's There's some knowledge of the shepherd on the sheep's part. But Jesus is even intensifying this picture as Jesus compares the knowledge that the sheep have of him with his own knowing and being known by God the Father. So there's not merely a cerebral knowledge of the shepherd as I know the prime minister of this country in a cerebral, intellectual way. I don't personally know her. I'm not familiar with her. There's no relationship of intimacy that exists between us. But I know her. If you said, do you know our prime minister? Yes, I know her. Jesus is emphasizing that the knowledge that the sheep have of the shepherd is not merely a cerebral knowledge. Like, yeah, I know, I know the shepherd. But there is an intimacy between the shepherd and the sheep. Comparable to the intimacy between God the Father and God the Son. The sheep know the shepherd, I might say, not as I know our prime minister, but perhaps as my sons know me and as I know them. 
More than that, as the Son of God knows God the Father, and as God the Father knows God the Son. My relationship with my own sons is but a dim picture of that love and that intimacy that exists between God the Son and God the Father. There is a rich intimacy and love between the shepherd and the sheep. However, all that being said, it's actually not the sheep's knowledge of the shepherd, which is the focus here in John 10, 11 to 15, but rather the shepherd's knowledge of the sheep. So let's turn our attention to that. The good shepherd knows the sheep. I've never owned sheep, but I own dogs. And I could pick my dogs out of a crowd of dogs, out of a pack of dogs, even if they were the same breed and therefore look basically alike. I could still work my way through and find my own dogs. Because I know my dogs. I can also usually anticipate the way that my dogs will react in a given situation. Again, because I know my dogs. Sometimes I can even hear just by the way they bark, which direction they're barking at, whether they're barking at something out behind my house, something out front, whether they're barking at the neighbors, whether they're just barking because they're excited, whether they're barking because they're trying to defend the property. I can tell a lot just by listening to my dogs because I know my dogs. In a sense, all dogs are the same because they're the same species. But in another sense, all dogs are unique. And I imagine that it would be the same with sheep. I can't say that firsthand, but I imagine so. The shepherd could likely tell you which one is which. He doesn't just go out with 10 sheep in the morning and he has no idea which one's which. Comes back with 10 sheep in the evening, still has no idea which one's which. He could likely tell you which one is which. If one of them needs medication, he knows which one to pull aside and administer it Likewise, if his group were mixed with another group, he could likely go in and take each and every one of his own sheep out from among that mixed group. Christian, Jesus knows you. He knows you. Jesus knows humans generically, as in John chapter 2, 24 and 25, where we read that Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows humans generically. We see that from the passage I just read. But Jesus knows you personally, Christian. Jesus knows you personally. As he knew personally, Nathaniel, in John chapter 1, verses 47 and 48, in which we read that Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. As one given from the Father to the Son, you, Christian, you yourself as an individual, you are known by Jesus. 
the Good Shepherd. You are known to the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are known to Christ, your Savior. You personally, not just us as Christians, not just the whole world generically, but you personally. After all, Jesus didn't just say, I know sheep, the way that we might say an experienced 75-year-old rancher knows cattle. Jesus said, I know my own. He's not merely making the claim here of what was predicated of him at the end of John 2, that he knows what is in man. He is making the claim here that I know each and every one of my sheep. That's the thrust of it. Jesus knows you then, Christian. Tim Keller says that one of our greatest desires is to be known and loved. The first thing that we see in this passage is that we are known. Are we also loved? The next thing that we see in this passage is that the Good Shepherd cares for the sheep, as opposed to the hired hand who does not. Yes, we are loved. We are known and we are loved. Our shepherd cares for us. Consider the implication of verse 13, which says, the hired hand flees. Why? Because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. What's the implication? The implication is that he who does not flee, he who is the rightful shepherd, cares for the sheep. The hired hand flees because he cares nothing for the sheep. The shepherd does not flee. The shepherd stays and fights for the sheep because he cares for the sheep. That's the clear implication of verse 13. Now, this is not a needy love when we say that we are loved, when we say that God loves us, that Jesus loves us. This is not a needy love, like, I can't live without you. God is not dependent on us in any way. God exists in aseity, which means by himself, of himself, from himself. He has all the resources, so to speak, that he needs within himself. He's self-contained. Contrary to what you often hear people saying, Jesus did not, God did not create the world because he was lonely and wanted someone to fellowship with. This is a totally wrong conception of God. God does not have a human-shaped hole in his heart that only you can fill. This is, this is not the kind of care, this is not the kind of love that God has for us, that Christ, our shepherd, has for us. Rather, this is the love of beneficence. The love of the shepherd for the sheep is a love of beneficence. It's a giving love. It's a staying instead of fleeing love. It's a caring and protecting kind of love. And this is the sort of love that this passage tells us that Jesus has for his sheep, who are those given to him by the Father. Though we are known in our sinfulness, 
in our rebellion. Though we are known in our shamefulness, in our finitude, in our weakness, we have a shepherd who knows us and loves us. A shepherd who is deeply committed to our good. A shepherd who has a love of beneficence towards us. Though we deserve nothing, though we don't add to his well-being, he cares for us and is committed to staying and protecting and giving and providing for us. Look at verse 12. It says that the hired hand is not like the shepherd in that he does not own the sheep. The implication is that the shepherd does. The shepherd owns the sheep. And what's another way of saying that? The sheep belong to the shepherd. Christian, you belong to Christ. Christ takes you for his own. You belong with him. You belong in his flock. You belong in the pasture where he grazes his sheep. You belong in his fold. You belong within the radius of where his rod and his staff protect. You belong near to his bosom where he lifts and carries the little lambs when they need it. Christian, you belong there. Christ takes you for his own. In Christ Jesus, we are known and we are loved by God. And God has appointed a shepherd for us to pour out upon us in him and through him his beneficence, his goodness, his giving, his staying, his caring, his providing. Jesus is thinking in part of you. Not y'all, but you individually. Jesus is thinking in part of you, individual Christian, when he says, I know my own. And when he describes how he shepherds in this passage, he's talking about you, Christian. Again, not just humans, not just even Christians in general, but you, Christian, specifically. Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. There's that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, there's no, there's no verse in the Bible, is there, that says, Jesus loves John Ritterskart. There's no verse in the Bible that has your name in it. So we, we, we get to that truth by synthesis, by putting things together, by implication, by inference, the same way that we do with the Trinity. When we put together what the Bible says about who God is, we realize that God is one God who exists in three persons, co-equal in glory and essence, etc., etc., Likewise, when we put together what the Bible says about Jesus, about sinners, about salvation, it's right to sing out, 
Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We see it in passages like this where Jesus speaks about knowing his own, caring for his own. Jesus cares for his own. He does not therefore leave when he sees the wolf coming, as the hired hand does. The shepherd stays. Our shepherd stays. Your shepherd stays. When you're in danger, Jesus doesn't abandon you, but keeps his promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always. So the good shepherd knows the sheep in contrast to the hired hand who does not. The good shepherd cares for the sheep in contrast to the hired hand who does not. The third contrast is similar to the second, but extends it in degree. The good shepherd is prepared to die in self-sacrifice for the sheep, as opposed to the hired hand who is not. How much does the shepherd care for the sheep? We've already seen a contrast between the hired hand who does not care and the shepherd who does. So we know that the shepherd cares, but how much does the shepherd care? That's the question that the third contrast answers. And the answer is that the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. D.A. Carson comments on the word for here, lay down his life for the sheep, saying that in John's gospel, it always occurs in a sacrificial context. Whether referring to the death of Jesus or Peter or of a man dying, pardon me, prepared to die for a friend, in no case in John's Gospel does it suggest death with merely exemplary significance. In each case, the death envisaged is on behalf of someone else. Listen to this point. This is Carson still. The shepherd does not die for his sheep to serve as an example in throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you. No, the assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger. That in their defense, the shepherd loses his life. That by his death, they are saved. How committed is Jesus to your well-being, Christian? Enough to die to protect you, to preserve you, that you might live. Romans 5, 7 and 8 says, One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ's death is not, is not merely exemplary. It's not like a shepherd jumping off a cliff and shouting to his sheep, see how much I love you. That's not what happened at the cross. But that's not to say that we don't see 
the love of the shepherd at the cross. When we understand that what Jesus was doing was going all the way to the cross as our shepherd in order to care for his sheep, we do actually see how much he loves us. We do actually see at the cross how much he cares. The cross was not, in Carson's words, a grotesque and futile display akin to a shepherd throwing himself off a cliff to show the sheep how much he loves them. Rather, the cross was more like a shepherd choosing to risk himself being eaten by a wolf rather than to stand idly by while a wolf eats the sheep. The cross was on behalf of the sheep. It was a sacrifice of the shepherd for the sheep so that he would die in their place. But when we understand that, the cross does show us how much Jesus loves us. It shows us how much the shepherd cares. Jesus is the shepherd who knows each and every one of his sheep. And yet, in spite of his knowledge of us, loves each and every one of us. And in fact, loves us so much that while we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Jesus loves us so much that when we were in danger, he waded into the fray and placed himself between us and the threat so that he would die in our place. What a shepherd. What a good shepherd. What a noble shepherd. We are known and loved and loved all the way to death by our good shepherd. Each and every one of us deserved to bear God's wrath in ourselves for our sin. And so we were as good as dead. We were in great peril, like a sheep separated from the flock and being stalked by a wolf. We were in very grave danger. But Jesus, knowing his own, seeing the threat to us, put his life, his own life on the line, stood in the place of his sheep, in order that our lives might be spared. After living a sinless life, he was not liable to bear God's wrath for his own sin. Nevertheless, Jesus allowed himself to die in the place of his sheep, as a substitute for his sheep, thus allowing the wolf to feed on him instead of on us, so to speak. Jesus lived sinlessly and yet bore God's wrath against sin in the place of his sheep. Why? According to John 10, because he knows us and cares enough for us that dying for us 
that he's willing to die for us. <coughs> Jesus knows us and cares for us that much. What's the right response to this love? Of course, if you're not a Christian, then the right response is to turn from your sins and to trust in Jesus for salvation from the wrath of God stored up for you on account of your sin. Jesus is willing to be your shepherd too. Jesus invites anyone who is willing to take him up on his offer to come and to follow him, to trust in him, to be led by him. Perhaps this morning, as one of his sheep given from the Father to the Son in eternity past, you are hearing the shepherd's voice for the first time, calling and beckoning you to green pastures, assuring you of his love, testifying of his care. Perhaps for the first time, you see and understand the cross as the place where the shepherd gave his life for the sheep. And you perceive the wondrous nature of salvation in Christ Jesus. Perhaps this morning, Christ the shepherd is extending to you the effectual call. Come then to your shepherd in repentance and faith. And begin to follow him instead of wandering to and fro in this life. On the other hand, if you're already a believer, then this ought to be tremendously reassuring. You are known and loved. Our triune God knew about each and every one of your sins and your failures and loved you anyway. And because of the great love with which he loved us, had dealings within himself in an intraterrian tongue twister here had intra-Trinitarian dealings on your behalf in eternity past. The Father giving you to the Son. The Son receiving you from the Father. The Spirit compacting together with the Father and the Son to empower the Son for His work and to effectually call and draw you, to regenerate you in time and space. God had intra-Trinitarian dealings in eternity past about you because of the great love with which you loved us. The Son came and accomplished His shepherding work that had been given to Him by the Father, laid down His life for the sheep, didn't lay down his life ineffectually, but effectually, such that the sheep are actually rescued from the threat. And in the proper time, again, because of the great love with which he loved us, the Spirit made you alive together with Christ. He gave you a spiritual resurrection, a new birth, and God has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. The Lord's my shepherd, as we've been singing a lot over the last few weeks. What a a great thought. The Lord's my shepherd.
as he leads us from the cradle to the grave. The Lord is my shepherd. This should be tremendously reassuring. And it should inflame your love for God, Christian. How does that old prayer go? May I know thee more clearly. Love, love thee more dearly. Love thee more dearly. Christian, you ought to love the shepherd, your shepherd, who has first loved you. You ought to love this shepherd who knows you and cares for you. You ought to love this shepherd who knows you and cares for you so much that he would lay down his life for you. Can you hear of his great love for you? Like this morning, and not feel your heart, in your heart, a great love for him. This is the case, it's a great indictment of our own spiritual coldness. How can we hear about this good shepherd and his love for us and not feel a love for the shepherd? Our hearts should be stirred when we think of the love of Christ and his shepherding of us. Oh God, grant that we might love thee more dearly. And as the prayer continues, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly. This is the way that true Christian obedience works. We don't obey to get love. That's the way other world religions work. That's the way all other systems work. You obey in order to get something. That's the way literally everything else works but the gospel. But the gospel turns out on its head and it says, you were loved in eternity past apart from any consideration of your works. Knowing full well just how sinful you are, how wicked your heart, without any consideration of what you might add to God, for you can add nothing. Simply because of the great love with which He loved us, you were predestined for adoption as sons and daughters. And you were called into the family. You were loved before you obeyed. The Gospel says, obey then. Now, in response, not to get love, but because you are loved with such a great love. Now obey. Because the shepherd knows you. Because the shepherd cares for you. And because the shepherd cares for you so much that he laid down his life for you. Follow the shepherd. That's Christianity right there. You have a good shepherd. Follow him. He knows you. He loves you. Follow him. Follow him more nearly. We don't obey to get love. Rather, we obey because we already are loved. And we obey because... We obey, pardon me, in response to God's love. It is a tremendous privilege to insert our names by implication and by inference into John 10. As I said, there's no verse here 
I know John Ritter Square. I love John Ritter Square. And so I go away singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. There's no verse here like that for me. There's no verse here like that for you. But the same way that we make inferences, like the doctrine of the Trinity, we follow Scripture to its conclusion. If you have turned from your sins and thrown yourself wholly, entirely, upon the mercy of God in Christ, you are Christ's sheep, which means He is your shepherd, which means you are His own. And so you could put your name right in there. I know my own. And I lay down my life for my own. You could put your name right in there. What a privilege it is to belong to Jesus. What a wonderful privilege to have a good shepherd leading us all the way from the cradle to the grave. What a blessing it is to be His.